section one of heroines of fiction this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. heroines of fiction by william dean howells book one chapter one some nineteenth century heroines in the eighteenth century in proposing to confine these studies to the nineteenth-century heroines of anglo-saxon fiction i find myself confronted by a certain question which i should like to share with the reader a day a month a year these are natural divisions of time and must be respected as such but a century like a week or a fortnight is a mere convention of the chronologers and need not be taken very literally in its claim to be exactly a hundred years long as to its qualities and characteristics it had much better not be taken so and in a study like the present one is by no means bound to date the heroines of nineteenth-century fiction from the close of the eighteenth century even if the whole world were agreed just when that was in fact since the heroines of fiction are of a race so mixed that there is no finding out just where they came from there is some reason why a study of nineteenth-century heroines should go back to their greatest grandmothers in the byzantine romances or even beyond these to the yet elder greek lineages in the iliad and the odyssey but there is still more reason why it should not do anything of the sort we may amuse ourselves if we choose in tracing resemblances and origins but after all the heroines of english and american fiction are of easily distinguishable types and their evolution in their native anglo-saxon environment has been in no very great lapse of time singularly uninfluenced from without they have been responsive at different moments to this ideal and to that but they have always been english and american and they have constantly grown more interesting as they have grown more modern one the best thing in the expression of any sort of modernity is a voluntary naturalness an instructed simplicity and there is no writer of the present moment not mr hardy not count tolstoy himself who is more modern than defoe in these essentials though defoe wrote two hundred and fifty years ago but we cannot go back to defoe in this place any more than we could turn say to m zola defoe is distinctly of the nineteenth century in the voluntary naturalness and instructed simplicity of his art but he is no more of the english nineteenth-century tradition or principle or superstition call it what you will than m zola he wrote the clearest purest english the most lifelike english and his novels are of a self-evident and most convincing fidelity to life but he was frankly of the day before we began to dwell in decencies before women began to read novels so much that the novel had to change the subject or so limit its discussion that it came to the same thing defoe was of a vastly nobler morality than fielding and his books are 
less corrupting they are not corrupting at all in fact they are as well intentioned as richardson's which sometimes deal with experiences far from edifying in order to edify he is a greater a more modern artist than either of the others but because of his matter and not because of his manner or motive his heroines must remain under lock and key and cannot be so much as named in mixed companies defoe's novels cannot be freely read and criticised only his immortal romance is open to all comers of every age and sex and it is a thousand pities that robinson crusoe has no heroine we must not begin to study our heroines of nineteenth-century fiction with him though aesthetically and ethically nineteenth-century fiction derives from him in some things that are best in it especially in that voluntary naturalness and instructed simplicity which are the chiefest marks of modernity we cannot begin a hundred years later with the heroines of samuel richardson though one of them at least is as freshly modern as any girl of yesterday or to-morrow clarissa harlowe in spite of her eighteenth-century costume and keeping remains a masterpiece in the portraiture of that ever womanly which is of all times and places the form of the novel in which she appears the epistolary novel is of all forms the most averse to the apparent unconsciousness so fascinating in a heroine yet the cunning of richardson it was in some things an unrivalled cunning triumphs over the form and shows us clarissa with no more of pose than she would confront herself with in the glass it is in her own words that she gives herself to our knowledge but we feel that she gives herself truly and with only the mental reserves that a girl would actually use there is always some final fact that a girl must withhold she gives not herself alone but all her environment vividly credibly convincingly in the letters she writes she persuades us that she lives and suffers and though it is preposterous in the novelist to study her love affair so minutely as he does it is not preposterous but most simple and natural for her to dwell upon it in every detail it is all the world the centre of the universe to her experience and however the author permits her to tire the reader she cannot be supposed to tire herself or tire her ardent friend and correspondent miss anna howe in her unstinted outpourings indeed when the reader has once put himself in sympathy with a heroine who does not always deserve it he too is eager for the smallest particulars of her pathetic fate the situation in clarissa harlowe is one which the author was apparently much more at home in than in the situations of either pamela or sir charles grandison richardson was not native to the low life of the one or the high life of the other but to the middle-class life where clarissa harlowe belongs there at ease in the setting he had merely to imagine an impulsive affectionate right-principled girl persecuted by her philistine family who try to force her into a hateful marriage till they drive her to the protection of the lover who plots her ruin it is very imaginable that when she cannot save herself from him she should reject the offer of his hand and that she should die of her griefs but these are not the vital facts of the case from an artistic point of view 
from such a point of view the heroine's gentle and lovable nature the characters of the different personages and the incidents that arise from them and reveal them are the main matters and it is here that richardson has his greatest success clarissa is more lifelike in what she does than in what she says for she has to say too much though in her spirited resentment of her wrongs from her detestable family she brings palpably before us her weak mother and father her hateful sister and brutal brother and all the abetting cousins and aunts and uncles her waverings however her hesitations and withdrawals her resistances and persistences it is in these that the author most truly finds her and reveals her as he finds her and reveals her she is like girls of our widely different circumstance in the measure that many great-grandmotherly miniatures are like the photographs of their great-granddaughters she is in her character of the nineteenth century but in her environment she is almost as impossible as the heroines of defoe from whom she derives in the right realistic line two it remained for a still later but not much later novelist to betray in the sister heroines of the vicar of wakefield two dear girls who are far more appreciable and acceptable to our nineteenth-century notions they are as distinctly of the eighteenth-century circumstance as clarissa harlowe but they are somehow so transcendentally imagined that they have survived into our time with the effect of being born in it it can hardly be claimed that goldsmith was a greater imagination than richardson but he was certainly a greater artist he had the instinct of reticence which richardson had not and it is not going much too far to say that the nineteenth-century english novel as we understand it now with its admirable limitations was invented by oliver goldsmith the novel that respects the right of innocence to pleasure in a true picture of manners and honours the claim of inexperience to be amused and edified without being abashed was his creation he did not know himself perhaps how wonderfully he was prophesying in the vicar of wakefield the best modern fiction of england and america he does not portray the incidents or characters which richardson studies with a pious abhorrence or fielding with a blackguardly sympathy his realism stopped short of the facts which may appall or which may defile the fancy it contents itself with the gentle domestic situation of the story and its change from happiness to misery through chances none the less probable because they are operated by the author so much more obviously than they would be now by an author of infinitely less inspiration such an artist would not now accumulate disaster upon dr primrose's head so clearly with his own hand disaster has become much more accustomed to the affliction of fictitious character and makes its approaches with the indirectness and delays noticeable in the actual world neither would such an artist have employed means so little psychological as the good man's sudden loss of fortune and his swift precipitation to misery by the wretch who breaks the heart of his daughter and spoils the joy of all those harmless lives happily for the finer art of our time the betrayer does not now imaginably find his way into the family of a country clergyman with the intent to dishonour and destroy it but even in the brutal time when such things were justly imaginable the author spares us the worst with a sort of prophetic sensibility 
the fair olivia is indeed eloped with if not quite abducted things could not be otherwise managed in that day without defiance of the traditions alike of fiction and of fact but she stoops to folly only through a mock marriage and this in the end as is well known proves a real marriage thanks to the twofold duplicity of the wicked lover's agent who for purposes of his own has had the ceremony performed by a real clergyman her tragic fate gives her a sort of dignity not innate in her and in her potential relenting towards the ultimate disaster of the scoundrel who has so cruelly misused her she has the highest charm of the ever womanly at least to the ever manly witness but it is at no time pretended that she is a wise person even by the fond father who tells the story of his family olivia now about eighteen he says in such antithetical portraiture of his daughters as the age delighted him had that luxuriancy of beauty with which painters generally draw hebe open sprightly and commanding sophia's features were not so striking at first but often did more execution for they were soft modest and alluring olivia wished for many lovers sophia to secure one olivia was often affected from too great desire to please sophia even repressed excellence from her fear to offend i have often seen them exchange characters for a whole day together a suit of mourning has transformed my coquette into a prude and a new set of ribbons has given her younger sister more than natural vivacity three it is a picture that makes one wish the more that the good doctor had carried his complaisance a little farther and told us what colour his girl's eyes and hair were of and which was the taller or slighter in the absence of positive information one is left to suppose from the internal evidence that olivia was large and fair and sophia of a low stature and a brunette complexion or the reverse as one likes as to their dress that is not so wholly matter of conjecture for their father tells us that even after the loss of his fortune when they were forced to live humbly like their country neighbours he still found them attached to their former finery they still loved laces ribbons bugles and catgut my wife herself retained a passion for her crimson padoisois when we were to assemble in the morning at breakfast down came my wife and daughters dressed out in all their former splendour their hair plastered up with pomatum their faces patched to taste their trains bundled up into a heap behind and rustling at every motion it is well known how the ladies were portrayed in the famous picture of the primrose family which when the wandering limner has finished it outdoors was found too big to be got into the house my wife desired to be represented as venus and the painter was requested not to be too frugal of his diamonds in her stomacher and hair olivia would be drawn as an amazon sitting upon a bank of flowers dressed in a green joseph richly laced with gold and a whip in her hand sophia was to be a shepherdess with as many sheep as the painter could put in for nothing the behaviour of the ladies was in conformity to the dispositions respectively assigned to them but all the world has long been too familiar with it to suffer more than one or two illustrative instances when young thornhill first presented himself without invitation among them it is known how coldly they received him but how when he refused to be repulsed they relented 
and the girls at their mother's bidding played and sang for him mr thornhill seemed highly delighted with their performance and choice and then took up the guitar himself he played very indifferently but my eldest daughter repaid his former applause with interest and assured him that his tones were louder even than those of her master as soon as he was gone my wife called a council tell me sophia my dear what do you think of our new visitor don't you think he seemed to be very good-natured immensely so indeed mamma replied she i think he has a great deal to say upon every subject and is never at a loss and the more trifling the subject the more he has to say yes cried olivia he is well enough for a man but for my part i don't much like him he is so extremely impudent and familiar but on the guitar he is shocking it is of course in keeping with her character that this mother meets her hapless daughter with cruel upbraiding when she comes back to her ruined home but wholly forgives her in the end when she finds that olivia has been incontestably made an honest woman of by the machinations of her betrayer's betrayer mrs primrose however is by no means a harsh nature even if she is a woman so little wiser than some men she is always a most acceptable presence in the story and never more so than when she is most foolish she is very modern in being of the illogical and inconsequent type of her sex which fiction has rather over-delighted in painting since her day probably there were hints of her in fiction from the very beginning but it was goldsmith who first painted one of the many ancestresses of mrs nickleby in full length she reasons from her wishes and believes from her hopes with those vast leaps from premises to conclusions which we have all witnessed in ladies of her mental make both in and out of novels she prevails by the qualities of her heart and her adequacy to most domestic occasions shows that the home may be governed with as little wisdom as the world she influences the sage sophia as strongly as the giddy olivia and it is pleasant to see how she is held in her motherly supremacy by the affection of her children and the love of her husband who perfectly understands her in fact a very pretty case might be made out of her as the real heroine of the book she and olivia are both of much more readily perceptible quality than sophia one expects olivia to do what she does it is almost inevitable and then one expects an interval of good sense in her after her misfortunes which it is intimated have chastened without essentially changing her sophia is a more difficult nature to deal with for her charm has to be shown in negative ways she has a great deal more mind than either her mother or sister but she is mostly subject to them and follows their lead as younger daughters and sisters do or at least used to do she will practically share in many of olivia's absurdities in spite of her greater light and knowledge and she is preserved from her disasters apparently by a fate that does not always befriend passive principle it is just in her passivity however that she is so dear to the heart so like so many other nice girls who are often so much wiser than anything they do or even say one of mr thomas hardy's heroines is reported to have been able to converse like a philosopher but to be apt in emergency to behave like a robin in a greenhouse if this was not quite the case with sophia it must be owned that her main superiority to olivia was shown in her being fallen in love with by a better man 
and in her refusing to be carried off by the villain who had deceived her sister though it ought to be said in olivia's behalf that it is much easier to resist being carried off against your will than with it four it was the age of moral sentiments and to have them at hand was the sovereignest thing against temptation from without and within heroines used to express them whenever the least danger threatened and sometimes when they were in perfect safety under instruction of the good samuel richardson they sought the welfare of themselves their lovers and their correspondents in formularies prescribing the virtues for every exigency and praising right conduct with a constancy which ought to have availed rather more promptly than it did but neither of the girls in the vicar of wakefield is very profuse of them and this marks either a lapsing faith in their efficacy or a rising art in the novelist goldsmith at any rate confines their precepts and reflections to the father of his heroines as he might fitly do in the case of the supposed narrator richardson or rather the epistolary form of his novels obliges his heroines to make them yet he was a great master and in spite of his preaching a great artist he was a man of a mighty middle-class conscience and in an age not so corrupt as some former ages but still of abominable social usages he could not withhold the protests of a righteous soul though he risked rendering a little tedious the interesting girls who uttered it for him he was blamed for portraying facts which were not so edifying as the morals to be drawn from them and this may have been why he made his heroines so didactic somehow he had to trim the balance and if the faithful portraiture of vice involved danger of contamination to the reader virtue must be the more explicit and prodigal of its prophylactics and antidotes his excess in both directions was corrected by the wiser art if not the purer instinct of the group of great women novelists who inherited his moral ideals and refined upon his materials and methods society had perhaps not grown much less licentious when fanny burney and maria edgeworth and jane austen began to write but it was growing less openly licentious and it might be studied in pictures less alarming to propriety if not to innocence these women who fixed the ideal of the anglo-saxon heroines wrote at the close of the last century and the beginning of this some thirty years after the masterpieces of richardson appeared and fifteen or twenty years after the vicar of wakefield imparted to all europe the conception of a more exquisite fiction in some sort richardson served them as a model and goldsmith as an inspiration but it was they who characterized the modern anglo-saxon novel which these masters had perhaps invented the most beautiful the most consoling of all the arts owes its universal acceptance among us its opportunity of pleasing and helping readers of every age and sex to this group of high-souled women they forever dedicated it to decency as women they were faithful to their charge of the chaste mind and as artists they taught the reading world to be in love with the sort of heroines who knew how not only to win the wandering hearts of men but to keep their homes pure and inviolable they imagined the heroine who was above all a nice girl 
who still remains the ideal of our fiction to whom it returns with a final constancy after whatever aberration so that probably if a composite photograph of the best heroines of our day could be made it would look so much like a composite miniature of their great-great-grandmothers in the novels of these authors that the two could not well be told apart end of section one